Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We're talking this week about being the light of the world. So if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read this and then we'll pray. Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. So right now, God, we open up our hearts. We open up our minds. Lord, we open up our life. We pray that all of that would be good soil so that the seed, not of what I say, but the seed of your word, or with the power of the Holy Spirit, will bear good fruit in our life. God, we love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, have you ever said something that everyone knew what you meant, but you said it wrong? Like for instance, I have four boys, all right? I don't know if I have ever called them the right name. I'll be looking at one of them, for instance, I'll be looking at Josh and say, hey, will you go upstairs and get Josh, tell him to come downstairs? He'll be like, dad, I am Josh. Anybody else do that? Has anybody ever called your kid by the dog's name? I've done that. All right, so here's, here's why I say that. When I read this, I, I feel like Jesus did the same thing. Like if I were there listening to the Sermon on the Mount and he says, you are the light of the world, I would turn to the person next to me and say, he meant he's the light of the world. I'm not the light of the world. Jesus, you're the light of the world. And how do we know that? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So let's look at that. If you look in John chapter eight, where Jesus said this, he said, I am the light of the world. And I'd be like, Jesus, you got it right. I would never say that, all right? That, that feels right. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So we're gonna follow this thread just a little bit. Jesus says what we would expect him to say. I am the light of the world, talking about himself. But then he goes on to say, but if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness. You will have, and that word have means to hold on to or to possess. That you will have, and this is such an important phrase, the light that leads to life. And here's what I think he's saying there. I think he's telling us two things. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. So I think he's saying, everything that is in me is available to you. So all the peace that's in me, that peace is available to you. All the joy that's in me, that joy is available to you. That light is available to you. That strength and that power and that forgiveness and grace, all that is available to you. You don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in my light. But then he goes a step further and he says, not only is it available to you, but it can be in you. You can have the light that leads to life. And so now we're starting to see what he meant when he told us that we are the light of the world, that if we'll follow Jesus, the same peace that is inside of him can be inside of us. The joy that's inside of him, that can be inside of us, that we can actually possess and have the light of Christ. Now, John takes it a step further 
in, 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 early in chapter one. He says this. Now, in John chapter one, John is talking about when Jesus came. He doesn't have a Christmas story. Nobody does a, pl- a children's play about John and his Christmas story. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. It's a little more philosophical. And so he says this. He says, here's why Jesus came. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son, that's Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So we're going to start to put all this together right now. What is John saying there? He said, no one's ever seen the Father. They read the Ten Commandments. They heard the stories about the Red Sea, but they never saw him. And God wanted us to see him. God wants to be with us. He doesn't just want us to hear about him. He wants us to see him. He wants to be with us. So he sent his son. So not only could we hear about him, we could actually see him. So Jesus showed us who God was. Here's the problem. Have anyone in your life, have any of your friends ever seen Jesus? No. So we haven't seen Jesus. But here's the principle I think that Jesus is trying to get across. Just like no one had seen the Father, so Jesus came to them to see, came to so they could see the Father. No one I know has ever seen Jesus, but who have they seen? They've seen me. And I have the light that leads to life. And so John is kind of given this idea. Jesus is the light of the world, but if I will follow him, not only do I not have to walk in darkness, he puts the light that leads to life in me. So just like Jesus showed the world who the Father is, I can show my world who Jesus is. And, and look, John takes this one more step in, in the letter that he wrote. In 1 John 1.1, he's writing about Jesus, and he's giving them like his credibility. And he says, that which was from the beginning, and he's talking about Jesus there. So you can just put Jesus. That which is from the beginning, Jesus But look what he says. Look how tangible he gets. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim. John was saying this. What I'm telling you about is not just something that I read about. It's not just something that I heard about. I saw this man. I saw the love. I saw the compassion. I saw the power. I'm telling you what I've seen. Can I tell you this? The world needs a Jesus that it can see. The world needs a Jesus that it can actually hear, not just hear about what the Bible says, and I'm not saying the Bible's not important. It is. But I had a youth pastor tell me at a young age, and I've never forgotten it. He said this. He said, your life may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And so when I read what Jesus said, you are the light of the world, my first thought is, well, hold on, you got that all wrong. Jesus, you're the light of the world. But the truth is, most of the people that I know, they'll never see Jesus. They may hear about him. They may see something on social media. But if they're going to see what he was really like, you know who they have to see it in? They have to see it in me. Now, let me give you this advice. Don't walk into your place of work tomorrow and be like, hey, I just want y'all to know I am the light of the world. I am like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Give me the corner office where everybody can see. Don't ever say that. That sounds weird. But how many of you know we have to live a life where that's true? Because we have the life that leads to light. 
I want you to say that with me. Say, I am the light of the world. Say, I have the light that leads to life. Do you feel the responsibility in that? You see, that's one reason people started to turn away from Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount. They loved the miracles. They loved, you know, turning something into bread. They loved the healings. They loved the privileges and the blessings, but they didn't want the responsibility. Now, I know we're not like that at all. We never come to Jesus just for what we get. We're like, give me more responsibility. But when he says, you are the light of the world, that's why it sounds so wrong. Because we don't want to see our, and truth is, a lot of times we don't see ourselves that way. But that's what Jesus has put on us. And how many know this world is moving faster and faster towards darkness? This world is getting dark, but we have the light that leads to life. And so now when I'm watching the news and I see some crazy story about what someone thinks or says it is done, or is done, I can't just sit back and be like, man, this world, wow, this is a place of darkness. You know what my response needs to be? I have the light that leads to life. And I love that phrase, the light that leads to life. In a world of darkness and death, Jesus Christ has given us has given me in my neighborhood, in my circle of influence, he has given me the light that leads to life. If I'm talking to a friend, that man is just walking in darkness or maybe through darkness, my response can't just be, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna stand with you. I have to think in my life, I have the light that leads to life. The way that I live makes a difference and how people see Jesus. And I would say this, a lot of times we say, you can make a difference. It's not you can make a difference, I will make a difference. Now I have the choice, will I make a positive difference or a negative difference? But when I say I'm a Christian, when I say I am a follower of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, all eyes are on me. Because what did I say before? None of my friends, they've never seen Jesus. The truth is, most of the people I know outside of this church, they've never read the Bible much. All they know about Jesus is what they see in me. All they know about the gospel is what they see in me. If my life is not clear about what the gospel says, then the gospel is not clear to those that know me. I'll say this, if my life's not compelling and inspiring and admirable, then the gospel doesn't seem compelling or inspiring or admirable. In fact, the word gospel means good news. And if my life's not good news, then the gospel is not good news to those around me. Because I know they should be looking at Jesus. What do we always say? Don't look at man, look at Jesus. But you know what we all do? We all look at men. Because that's something we can see. That's something we can hear. That's something that we can touch. And we know we can't put our faith in people, but other people do. They're always looking at us. And so I understand now that I'm the light. So let's look at that phrase again, now kind of through new eyes. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. We understand that he didn't make a mistake when he said that. But look what he says. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. God wants to put your life on a stand for all to see, whether you like it or not. All right? He says this. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Okay, now get ready for this. This is my favorite phrase in the whole thing. I think this next two words are two of the most powerful words in the whole world. Everybody needs to have them. Look, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that, say so that. Turn to your neighbor, say, I don't know what that means, but it sounds important. So that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Here's why I like that. Every single person needs a so that. It's a so that that wakes us up in the morning. It's a so that that keeps us going when times are hard. In fact, I would say this. We all have a so that. We just got to get the right one. We're either living so that we can be comfortable, living so that we can have fun, living so that we'll have money or status, living so that we can just do whatever we want, or what he says here, living so that they will praise your heavenly Father. My so that is God's glory. And when I understand, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, not only when I, does that help me understand that I've got to give light to others and show them who Jesus is, it illuminates my own life. Because now I realize I've got to sow that. I am going to live my life so that God will get glory. And here's why that's so important, because that brings meaning and purpose and significance to every single part of my life. Because now I understand I went through this so that God could get the glory. See, when you go through pain and there's no purpose, it will crush you. But when you've got to sow that in the middle of pain, when you've got to sow that in the middle of doubt, and I understand, I don't know why I went through that and that was hard, but I went through that so that they will see my heavenly father and praise his name. All right. Now, here's the thing, even more than that, not just what I went through. I have what I have so that God can get the glory. Not so that I can use it however I want and do whatever I want with it. My so that covers everything. I have what I have so that God can get the glory. I can do what I can do so that God can get the glory. So then when I understand that I'm the light of the world, not only is it exciting, and not only is it a responsibility, but it gives life to my life. It gives every single thing in my life meaning. So, so saying that, how do we shine our light? How do we become this light that he's talking about? Because look, that can be a little intimidating, all right? What's he gonna tell me now? Is he gonna tell me now I gotta go back to work and start a Bible study on my lunch hour? And then they're gonna ask me why there are no dinosaurs in the Bible, and I don't have the answer to any of those questions, all right? That's not what we're talking about today, all right? It's really about who we are. Our light is who we are. So I want to give, these are not the only three, I want to give you three characteristics, and I, I got to hurry here, three characteristics that we got to have in our life so that we can be a light. And the first one doesn't sound spiritual at all, but I believe it is. The first one is excellence. I've got to, as a Christian, with my life on a pedestal, I have to live a life of excellence. My excellence shows God's greatness. Let me ask you this. Why would anyone I know want to be like Jesus if they don't want to be like me? If my light is hidden under a basket of mediocrity, I've got to have excellence in my life. If I am excellent, then the gospel is excellent. But if I am mediocre, then to those around me, the gospel seems mediocre. And my so, remember, my so that covers everything. 
So now all these things in my life that don't seem spiritual at all. So for the next five minutes, we ain't talking about reading your Bible. We ain't talking about praying. We ain't talking about the worship music. We're talking about what we wake up in the morning and go to the office do on Monday morning or a Tuesday afternoon. There's got to be excellence in my life because the world is drawn to excellence. Most of you, when you go to the work in the morning, let's say this. If you are applying for a job, all right, and, and you're a Christian applying for a job and someone asks you, why do you think you ought to work here? Well, because you know what? I am three days ahead on my Bible reading plan. I don't know if you know that. I'm three days ahead on my Bible reading plan. I have talked in tongues three out of the last seven days. I, man, the, something came on me and I just, I bound and I loosed it. And I just loosed it out of here. And that's why I think you should hire me. Do they care about that? Not at all. You know what they want to do? Can you do the job? Are you going to get here on time? Are you going to stay till the job's done? Are you a detailed-oriented person? Can I trust you in the office when I am gone? That's what the world wants to see. Because here's the, we've got to show them Jesus, but most of the time, let's be honest, they're not looking for Jesus. But if we show them excellence, all of a sudden what? Now their eyes are on us. And if we will live a life of excellence, that's God through the gifts that he gave us, putting our life on a pedestal. And then they'll look to that. But when they look to that, when they start asking, then they start seeing, hold on, wait, there's more than excellence in their life. There's peace and there's joy and there's strength and there's kindness. And there's not just an excellence of performance. There's an excellence of character. What is that about? Why did they not cut corners when nobody else could have? And we shine our light. And look, this is a biblical principle. In the Old Testament, God talked about two structures, I'll call them, that were the focus of his presence. And one of them was when the children of Israel and the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were in the desert. And God said, basically, I want you to build a tent. We call it a tabernacle because that sounds way more spiritual than a tent. But it was a tent. And why was it a tent? Because that's all they had. That was the best they could do at the time. So we talk about excellence. We're talking about excellence, not extravagance. All right. Excellence is the best we can do with what we have. It's about what we do, not what we have. Extravagance is about what we have. All right. So we're talking about excellence. And there are chat. It's the part of the Bible. All right. I'm, you don't have to admit this. I will. It's the part of the Bible when in about February, we start falling behind on our reading plan. Because we don't understand why those flowers have to be carved that way. And why you have to get that kind of sheepskin. And why you have to put those kind of corners on that table that is holy, that I need Terry Olivier to explain. Why do they even do it in the first place? All right? But he spends chapters. Why? Because God is a God of excellence. And let me give you this scripture, and I don't even think they're going to put it on I told them not to, but you just write it down. Okay, I'm going to give you some homework, all right? It's Exodus chapter 31, very beginning. And here's why it's important. It's when he's talking about the tabernacle, and God tells Moses, there's a man named Bezalel. And he says, I want you to get Bezalel, and I want Bezalel to make the tables for the tabernacle. And here's why, because I have put my spirit in him. And here's why it's important. That's the first time in the Bible God says he's put his spirit in anyone. And it wasn't to prophesy, and it wasn't to lead a worship song. Bezalel worked with his hands. And he says, I have put a spirit of excellence in Bezalel, and he will build a structure that will bring glory to my name. 
And so that's the tabernacle. And then years later, once they got settled, they could do better. He said, now I want you to build me a temple and build it out of cedar and nice wood and gold. But it's the same thing. Make it the best you could possibly make it because it is a symbol of my glory and is the focus of my presence. So they had the tabernacle and they had the temple. But after Jesus came, what do they have? They got me and they got you. Paul says this. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so my, and I'm not talking about physical, you figure all that out. I'm not, you know, doing all this. I'm just talking about life in general. I have got to be excellent because my excellence brings glory to God and it's a way that I can shine my light. Second thing is this, excellence. The second thing is holiness. I've got to live a life of holiness. Now the word holiness means set apart. All right. It means set apart, set apart for something. Why would anyone want to be like Jesus if I'm just like them? I've got to live a life that is different so that they see Jesus can make a difference in their own life. If I'm living just like anyone else, then they'll never see that Jesus can make a difference. And that's why I like the word holiness. That's a real churchy word, but it fits. Because holiness doesn't mean like, don't cuss and don't get mad. It doesn't mean that. The word holy means set apart. There were a lot of inanimate objects that were set apart. There were days that were set apart. There was furniture that was set apart. There was land that was set apart. The Old Testament says, this day is holy. This land is holy. This, this, this you know, desk, whatever, is holy. Does that mean the desk doesn't cuss? No. What it means is this desk is different. It is set apart for my use. I've got to live a life that they may not know why, because they don't know my so that. But they've got to look at me and say, his life is different. He's different than me. It's a life of, and again, once again, don't be like somebody say, what's different about you? Well, I'm more holy. That's exactly what it is, all right? I got the excellence down, I've moved on to the holiness. Don't say that. Let them ask. But they need to recognize it. He doesn't react like I react. She doesn't say the things that everyone else says. We asked them to go here, and they said no. Why did they say no? Why are they not doing? Why are they not posting everything that everybody else posts? There's something different about their life, and that lets us know that when they need a difference in their life, they know who to go to. I can't live like everybody else. And, and I would say this. It's not just set apart from it's set apart for. Holiness and living a life of holiness and difference, it's not about avoiding the darkness, because sometimes we make it all about that. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's not about avoiding the darkness. It's about being the light. Light is different than darkness, but light is its own. And this is the best example I can give you, because it's what are we for, not, you know, what are we from, but set apart from. So the other day, I was sitting in my living room, and one of the things I love most about my living room is about three steps from the kitchen, all right, which is my favorite room of the house, you can probably tell. And so uh, just so you know this about me, like I love to work out, I also love to eat. I do a lot of both of them. And so I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching this video of this CrossFit competition and there's this dude uh, named Matt Fronig and he's a beast, fittest man on earth. And he's just, not only is he looking, he's got the abs and the shoulders and the muscles, He's doing like 50 pull-ups in a row and then deadlifting 500 pounds. And 
I'm just watching, just getting inspired. And I tell Krista, like, that's what I want to be like. And as soon as I finished that, I got up and went to the kitchen and got a brownie. Now, here's the thing. It's not if, you know, this is the example. It's not about being set apart from the brownie. It's about being set apart for the abs. Now, just so you know, in a non-spiritual, I've chosen the brownie. All right, that's just, I don't need abs. My, I tell people my abs are like Bigfoot. Some people believe they exist, but nobody's ever actually seen them. But here's what I want you to know. There's things in our life we shouldn't do, but it's not about what we shouldn't do. Is that going to keep me from being what I want to be? And here's why that's important. It'd be one thing if, because it's true. I'm not going to get involved in this because that's going to bring, if God told us not to do it, there's a reason. And so it's going to bring pain into my life. And it's going to bring dark. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness. He's given us a choice. And so if I do that thing, whatever that is, or that thought, or that word, or that action, or that activity, or that relationship, whatever it is that makes me just like everybody else, if I do that, it's not just about the pain that that's going to bring in my life. That's my responsibility. It's about the light that it's going to hide from someone else. And it's about someone else that is watching me that needs the transforming love and power of Jesus Christ in their life, but my light is hid under a basket because I want to do this. Does that make sense? And that's why I've got to live a life not just of excellence, but a life of holiness. And the third one is this, and I think this may be the most important and the most applicable. I've got to live a life of strength. If people don't see strength in my life, they're going to think the gospel is weak. Our strength shows the world God's power, but I think more than this, it shows, God, shows the world God's faithfulness. My strength shows God's, that God was there for me when I was hurting, and he can be there for you too. And how many know that's the best time to reach someone? So we show them our excellence, so they look to us. But then when they're hurting, they see our strength. And our strength is because of God's faithfulness. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's what I think is the recipe for spiritual strength. There's two ingredients. Struggle and trust. Struggle and trust. And struggle is not even necessarily a spiritual principle. I mean, it is because all truth is God's truth. But struggle, there is no strength without struggle. I mean, physically, we know that. In fact, the truth is there's no need for strength without struggle, all right? So you gotta have struggle to build strength, but that applies to everybody in the world. We're talking about spiritual strength. Where does spiritual strength come from? That in the middle of the struggle, I trust him. I trust what he's doing in my life. And that brings me strength. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I know you're good. Lord, I'm hurting, but I know you love me. Lord, I know that you're powerful, but I know that you're loving and compassionate and the world sees a strength in me through hard times that others don't have, not because I'm stronger in me, but because my trust in God has given me a strength. And, and can I tell you this? Come on, you clap your hands for that. The world is hurting. This kind of goes the holiness piece. 
They're looking for someone that handles hard times differently. And if we handle it the way everyone else handles it, if we fall apart like they fall apart, we cope like they cope, then why would they turn to Jesus? But if they see a strength in us, in, look, in the middle of, of an authentic pain, not, I'm not talking about hiding the pain and, and nothing's wrong in my life. I'm talking about saying, look, it hurts, but God's still good. I still trust him. And I want to read you this verse because I think it, it, it shows us really well. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter one. Now, let me tell you what's going on in Philippians chapter one. Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter. He doesn't know if he's getting out of prison tomorrow. He doesn't know he might get pulled out and executed tomorrow, or he might spend the rest of his life in prison. He has no idea. And in the middle of that, that's the context for what he writes here. Look what he says. He says, I eagerly expect, can we stop there? Paul, what is up with the eagerness? How can you be in prison and still be eager? But when the world says, how can they hurt like that and still have a smile on their face? How can they be betrayed and still be kind and compassionate to other people? He says, I eagerly expect and hope. Now let's stop right there, all right? I'm gonna do this a lot. I'm gonna read three words and stop. And I know you read ahead, but that's okay. That's between you and the Lord, all right? <laughs> he says, I eagerly hope and expect. You would think the next phrase, I eagerly hope and expect that I'm getting out of here tomorrow. I eagerly hope and expect that God's gonna just tear down this prison. That's not what he says. He says, I eagerly, I want you to look at Paul's attitude. Hope and expect, or expect and hope, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. That's what Paul expected. In a weird way, Paul didn't necessarily expect a miracle. Now look, let me say this real quick. If you're hurting, pray for a miracle. Paul says to do that. If you're sick, pray for healing. If your marriage is in trouble, pray for restoration. Whatever it is, pray for the miracle. But it's interesting here that Paul said, and what's another word for courage? Strength. I expect that God is going to give me strength. And I would say this, a life that has the light that leads to life is a life of strength. And a, a person that expects struggle, but then expects strength in the struggle, in the struggle. That's what we ought to be doing. And here's what's interesting. And again, pray for the miracle. A lot of times we pray for the opposite. We pray for a life where no strength is required. But if we live that life, then the world can never see how strong God is. And I tell you that because some of you are going through a hard time right now. And your greatest darkness may be someone else's greatest light. If you will trust God in the middle of the struggle, that may be exactly what he's, and I'm not saying God caused your pain. I don't know what went on. All right, there are all kinds of pain for all kinds of reasons, all kinds of struggle. But God can give us strength in the middle of all of it. And look at what Paul says. He says, I will have sufficient courage, here's my phrase again, so that you can make it through pain when you gotta so that. So that, I love this next phrase, now as always, now as always. Paul says, the faith I have in prison is the faith I had when I was out of prison. It doesn't matter if I'm out of prison or in prison, God's still good. I still love him. 
I still trust. In fact, later on in Philippians, we quote all the time, I can do all things through Christ. He says this, I know what it's like to be hungry and I know what it's like to be well fed. God's the same in both of them. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be loved. I know what it's like to be hurting, hurting, to be hated. But now, as always, my faith is the same. My trust is the same. And God's strength in me because of that is the same. And if the world says, hold on, man, I thought they were going to get rid of Jesus when their kid rebelled against them. Man, I'm really surprised. I thought when they got that diagnosis, they'd stop saying all that Jesus stuff they've been talking about. But for some reason, they're the same now as always. There's a strength in them that I don't see. Everybody else's life falls apart. And, and God is using that struggle to place our life up on a, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden so that we can show the world not who we are, our so that is so God gets the glory. And look at what Paul says here. So that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Because it's not our circumstances that determine the light that other people see in us. It's God's goodness. And if we will trust in him, he's going to give us that every single time. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.